Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Starseed Radio Academy, empowering Starseed to better serve the planet. Welcome to Starseed Radio Academy. It's Tuesday, January 17th, 2017, and I'm your host, Arielle Taylor, with my co-hosts, Lavendar and Anastasia. We have two trips to Arkansas coming up, one in March for the spring equinox, which is Athena's birthday, and the other in May for Pleiadian lineup. This Starseed Gathering is a soul family reunion, and eligibility requires having at least one star marking at galactic degree, which is 25, 26, or 27 degrees of any sign. This is a new four-day event redesigned to bring all Starseeds to their next level of activation. If you feel the call of the crystals and a desire to reunite with your Starseed family, you can register for either our Spring Equinox, or uh, which is March 17th through the 20th, or the next one for Pleiadian Lineup, which is May 19th through the 22nd. And uh, write your inquiries to crystals, that's plural, crystals at starseedhotline.com. Our special guest this evening is Nicholas Pearson, who's been immersed in all aspects of the mineral kingdom for more than 20 years. He began teaching crystal workshops in high school, later studying mineral science at Stetson University while pursuing a degree in music. He worked for several years at the Gillespie Museum, home to one of the largest mineral collections in the southeastern United States. Nicholas is the author of the recently published The Seven Archetypal Stones, as well as Crystals for Karmic Healing, which is due on shelves in late January. And he's currently writing his fifth book. Nicholas loves to empower his audiences with the tools offered by the Mineral Kingdom and offers classes, healing sessions, and ceremonies with them across the state of Florida. In addition to his work with the Mineral Kingdom, Nicholas practices and teaches Yusui Reiko Rioho, and his work includes reclaiming the origins of the system of Reiki by exploring its early period in Japan. And his website is coming soon and will be theluminouspearl.com. And we'd like to thank Vanya for hosting the switchboard this evening for those who may have a comment or question for our guest. We have an online Starseed community at starseedhotline.ning.com, and it's a safe place to connect with other Starseeds, thanks to Tammy's dedication and help with our forum. And you can download our shows on iTunes or right here on Blog Talk Radio. If you'd like to show your support of our program, please click follow on our page here at Blog Talk, and you'll get our weekly show notice so you know what's coming up. The toll-free number for starseedhotline.com is 888 888- 8810881 The stage 1 starseed confirmations are based on Lavendar's discovery of star markings in your natal astrological chart and the stage 2 session is a one-on-one phone session available with Lavendar Anastasia or myself For those who need healing of any kind for yourself or your pets Tammy's powerful remote sessions will help And if you have a birthday coming up, you don't want to miss out on your 10 hours of power, you can find out when it happens by requesting your solar return timing. And if you would like a stage 2 interpretation of that chart, please order it about 2 or 3 months ahead of your birthday to make sure you get it in before your 10 hours. 
So um, first this evening, I will um, introduce Anastasia with her ever-popular Starseed News. Hey, hey, Anastasia. Well, good evening, Lavendar. Or, excuse me, Ariel, can you hear me just fine? <laughs> yes, we can, and so can Lavendar. <laughs> good, good. Lavendar can hear me, too. That's good. Yes, yes. Well, we've got lots of news tonight, so I had just better get right into it. Um, you know, so far in 2017, which has only been about 17 days, but the big story in space weather is about sunspots or the lack of them. According to spaceweather.com, the sun has been blank more than 90% of the time. Now, the last time the sun produced a similar string of spotless days was in May of 2010. That's about seven years ago. Now, that was near the end of the previous deep solar minimum. The current stretch is a sign, they say, that the solar minimum is coming again. Sunspot numbers rise and fall with a, uh, within an 11-year period, slowly oscillating between the solar max and solar minimum. And they say that this year, the pendulum is swinging toward the bottom. And uh, news from Mars. You know, uh, this comes from fizz.org. That's a very well-respected uh, periodical. And they say that finding DNA on the red planet will probably happen. They say they're going to be looking for DNA on Mars, and even though it's not an easy feat, it is possible. They say that what's more, if they do find DNA, it's not improbable that, there, that it could be proof of shared ancestry between Earth and Mars. Now, according to this article, there is a very good argument for the fact that if there was life on Mars, it would have shared ancestry with Earth, due to the fact that about 4 billion years ago, when Earth and Mars were formed, they were both, both habitable at the same points in time. At that time, there was the late heavy bombardment, and that's when the inner solar system was hit with tons of meteorites. Now, in this exchange of rocks between Mars and Earth, uh, they say there have been studies that show that biological organisms can survive if ejected from a planet and that they can survive in space. Thus, interstellar life transfer between Earth and Mars is remarkably possible. So that's what they're going to be looking for. And if they find it, hmm, they may be finding some of the ancestors of the planet, so they say. Well, we've got some news in the, in, uh, across the earth as far as governments and goings-on cons are concerned. And I wanted to share this story with you, but you haven't heard about it. A uh, corruption scandal has led to the governmental collapse in Northern Ireland. And uh, this just happened yesterday, broke news yesterday. They say that Northern Ireland's power-sharing government has collapsed, triggering a second election in eight months as fallout from a botched energy scheme continues. Now, the Northern Ireland Assembly, which is uh, the power sharing about the power-sharing agreement between the region's two biggest parties, was teetering on the brink of collapse in the wake of the so-called Cash for Ash scandal before it succumbed yesterday. Now, the scandal involves significant overspending on the long-running renewable heat incentive that subsidized businesses and homeowners for using environmentally friendly heating methods. Well, that all sounds pretty nice, but the subsidies paid to companies were not capped, and it could end up costing Irish taxpayers approximately $600 million and up. So they're having a crisis there in Northern Ireland. Somebody promised to pay people 
for this uh, incentive and didn't put a cap on it, and apparently it's gone over the top. And uh, they're all in a drother now about what that is going to do to the Irish economy and to the taxpayers. Well, this is a, a really interesting article. It's uh, Well, it just speaks for itself. A uh, U.K. insurance company is calling for gender-segregated seg- roadways called the Pink Zones. And they're doing this in the name of equality, justice, and safe spaces, according to this insurer in the United Kingdom, who is advocating for the creation and designation of gender-split roadways to give women their own lanes and separate infrastructure in order to avoid the perils of sharing the road with men. (laughs) Now, an insurance company called Sheila's Wheels, uh, it bills itself as having a different spin on car insurance, has assembled a fact sheet concerning the statistical differences between men and women in regards to highway safety, accidents, and injury reports. Now, their conclusion is that women are at a greater risk of accident and injury while traveling on roads occupied by men, and that in order to correct this societal imbalance, they should create separate pink roadways and lanes that should be funded and created by government to segregate men and women drivers in some of the more dangerous thoroughfares in the U.K. Pink zones. God. Oh, <laughs> uh, boy. And, and this is a story that, uh, yeah, well, while we're chuckling over that one, um, uh, this headline caught my eye. You know, the world has changed so much even in since, let's say, 2000. Uh, for those of us that have lived a little longer than some of the rest of you, uh, this sort of, I don't know, stops us in our tracks, but catch this headline. Britain's first pregnant man said he has received death threats. Well, <clears throat> so that gets our attention, and here's how the story goes. Uh, The U.K.'s first pregnant man told British television that he has received death threats from people who don't understand his situation. While born a woman, this man was undergoing hormone treatment to become a man when he took a break from transitioning to have a child. And in his first televised interview, this 20-year-old man, who is now legally male, said, I've had some good reasons and I've had some bad reactions. I've had death threats, people threatening to beat me up. He also said the anger directed towards him is the product of people not understanding him. Well, he became pregnant after finding an anonymous donor on Facebook, and he claims that he took that drastic measure after the National Health Service refused to freeze his eggs. Well, what is so puzzling about that story is calling him a man when he is being... uh, impregnated, and so on and so forth. So anyway, that's the kind of news we see today, but there it is, Britain's first pregnant pregnant man. Uh, okay. Well, in uh, Switzerland, uh, there has been some violence. Uh, Swiss, Swiss police have detained 32 pro-Tibet activists, including one man who was trying to set himself on fire, and they were protesting a state visit by the Chinese president. Now, several protesters near a security zone uh, set up ahead of the Chinese premier's visit uh, failed to comply with police instructions, according to Reuters. Police in riot gear arrested protesters and also reportedly prevented one man from setting himself on fire. Now, 14 activists were detained outside the Swiss parliament on Monday, yesterday, 
as they continued to protest past the time limit. People were waving posters with messages like free Tibet and don't deal with killers, and uh, Swiss police claimed that they made the arrests to secure safety. Well, in Britain, uh, there's a poll that shows that trust in government, business, and media has collapsed. They say that uh, it's plummeted to disturbing new lows over the last 12 months. The figures show that trust in the British government, which stood at only 36% at the start of 2016, has plunged even further today to 26%. So not only in the U.S., but in Britain, people's confidence in government is at all-time lows. Well, in our science department, military spy laser concept aims to transform Earth's atmosphere into a giant magnifying glass to snoop on enemies. The idea of a laser that can turn Earth's atmosphere into a giant magnifying glass may sound like science fiction, but engineers say that this could be a reality within the next 50 years. A company has come up with a concept for a laser that creates structures in the Earth's atmosphere with similar properties to lenses. They say this could help help governments spy on enemies as well as act as a deflector shield to protect aircraft from enemy attacks. Well, one wonders what else that could do, because as a child, I was taught in the Girl Scouts to create a fire by using a magnifying glass. Hmm. What might that do to the Earth's atmosphere? But there it is. Well, an earthquake has struck Wales. It's caused tremors and a loud uh, rumble. Now, it was a small earthquake, but it's unusual that there should be an earthquake in Wales at all. It was a magnitude 1.1, and they said that there was no damage from it. But the mysterious part of it is is that uh, they heard a loud bang ahead of time, and they don't know what the cause was or even if it was a quake. It registered, but there's been no comment as to really the correlation between the earth movement and the big boom that everybody heard. Well, uh, there's been global hurricane force winds and out-of-season record rainfall, according to some. In fact, this comes from space weather. uh, As cosmic rays increase, Um, spaceweather.com and the students of Earth-to-Sky Calculus have been using helium balloons to monitor cosmic rays in the stratosphere over California. And their latest data shows an increase of cosmic rays at 13% since 2015. Well, some people are speculating that the Category 5 hurricane winds in California, Cat 3 winds in Colorado, Cat 4 winds in Europe's blizzards, and uh, 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 all of these uh, activities with the increased winds uh, are probably and possibly related to the cosmic rays increase uh, that have been happening. We shall have to see about that. That's speculation, but Uh, That 13% increase in the last year plus a month, less than a month, uh, they say may be causing the increase in these uh, very, very strong winds across the the planet. And uh, some pretty good news for the California drought. Uh, 350 billion gallons of water top off California reservoirs after record flooding. You know, there was 10 feet of snow falling in California and Colorado 
the ski resorts closed from having too much snow. Highways have been cut off with one storm, and all of the reservoirs got filled in California. However, along with that, those uh, storms that soaked northern California triggered power outages, mudslides, and flash floods. However, that 350 billion gallons of water that poured into the reservoirs has boosted the storage levels not seen in years, forcing dam operators to release water to, release, to reduce flood risks and all but ending that five-year drought across much of Northern California, although they say uh, there's still drought in the south. So that was a quick remedy, uh, a hurtful one. A lot of things happened with that, but Northern California, anyway, is relieved of its drought concerns for a while, anyway. Well, they had an archaeological find in the Yukon, and it puts humans in North America 10,000 years earlier than previously thought. Uh, this is, uh, article tells us that about 24,000 years ago, when much of North America was buried under the ice of the last glacial maximum, a few hunters took shelter in a small cave above the, Blue Fri the Bluefish River, which is now northwestern Yukon. Now, uh, they have discovered the bones of these hunters, as well as uh, horses and other animals uh, that came from excavations early on in the uh, last of the last century. Uh, now they are uh, dis uh, examining these bones that were discovered some years ago, and it has showed evidence of stone tool cuts. Uh, and they say that um, uh, this is uh, evidence that the, uh, the Earth uh, has been inhabited a lot longer than previously thought, um, some of these discoveries that they found years and years ago are being reanalyzed. And uh, anyway, it traces uh, Earth, uh, human life on the Earth to as much as 30,000 years ago. So that's uh, according to uh, Plus One Journal. Well, did you know that oregano tea can heal strep throat, sinusitis, and infections? It can. They say that drinking oregano tea has long been a tradition in many parts of the world as a home remedy for a number of different ailments. Now, oregano contains many important compounds composed of several phytonutrients, uh, which has demonstrated to have extremely valuable antioxidants. Now, these antioxidants dra drastically inhibit oxygen-based damages to cells throughout the human body. Now, many studies have shown that oregano has a stronger antioxidant impact in the body than synthetic antioxidants regularly added in processed foods. And this is kind of new to me. You've all heard of BHT and BHA. We see that a lot in packaged food ingredients. I hadn't realized until reading this article that they consider those to be synthetic antioxidants. I suppose that's what that means when they talk about these chemicals being preservatives. Anyway, in a study published in the International Food Journal of Sciences, it was shown that drinking oregano tea has antioxidants results as well as resulting in lowering the bad cholesterol in our bloodstream, the LDL. So wow. if you can stand oregano, just as uh, by itself, it's pretty strong. Um, it's very, very good for you. And in fact, uh, taking oregano oil in uh, gelatin capsules, uh, people, um, probably a lot of you already know that, is very, very healthy for you. 
something. They say to take that, by the way, with a piece of bread. Otherwise, it can cause a little bit of digestive disturbance. But uh, very, very good for us. So if you don't want to take the capsules, because it's pretty strong stuff, try the tea. Good for us. Well, there's been a little bit of a hubbub on the Internet about mysterious flashing uh, lights uh, that sped past the ISS space station. They say that an astronaut was hiding evidence from the camera with his hand. Now, uh, they are saying that astronauts on board the ISS are deliberately hiding evidence of UFOs. Now, in a video uploaded by UFO experts called Secure 10 and apparently filmed from the ISS, an astronaut can be seen filming uh, the view from outer space with, its, with the Earth lit up in the background. But when mysterious moving and glowing lights appear in the distance, the astronaut puts his hand in front of the camera and pans away to cover up the lights. Hmm. So it's a similar story to the last one when a cartwheeling light form is seen zooming across the Earth. And there again, a white-suited hand can be seen covering the, the view or covering the lens of the camera. So, you know, how long are they going to do this and figure out that they can keep all this stuff from us, huh? Okay. On the cat's on already out of the bag. <laughs> Why don't they just give it up, okay? Just give it up. Good grief. I guess, uh, I don't know. Anyway... That's it for tonight's news. I'm going to be looking forward to the show tonight, Ariel. And uh, from my heart to all of you listeners, all of you beautiful starseed, have a beautiful week and uh, shine on. Much love to each and every one of you. Well, thank you so much, Anastasia, for bringing us the starseed news. Always good good thoughts to ponder. So um, we'll get more news next week. And uh, for now, thank you so much. So I am going to um, get Lavendar and our special guest, Nicholas Pearson, online here. Just hang on a second. Okay, Nicholas, welcome to the show. We're so happy to have you. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, great. Lavendar, you ready to go? Here, I'm ready. So, okay. Nicholas, tell Take us a little bit about yourself and and uh, how you came to uh to be this enlightened person that's written this gorgeous book. I love this book, The Seven Architectural Stones. I love it. Tell us about what brought you to the state of awareness of where you are now. You know, it started in early childhood, as I think it does for many people who love crystals. Um, I was always the kind of kid whose favorite souvenir anywhere I went was a rock. Didn't matter where it came from or what it looked like. That's that's what I grabbed for. But um, my grandfather gave me my first mineral specimen. It was a piece of quartz. Uh, an Arkansas piece of quartz, no less. And uh, that really changed things for me. Instead of stones just being these sort of inert, lifeless things, they could be prismatic and beautiful and crystalline. And that really sort of began to steer me towards this profound love of this mystical object. So, um, you know, I, I come from a household where my, my father loved to encourage me to grow and read. Um, my family and I would take you know, pretty regular trips to the library. I would read anything and everything I could. And one week it would be science. The next week it would be mythology or fairy tales or about, you know, world religions. And I started to see these parallels between, you know, how science describes some phenomenon in nature and how Native cultures might have interpreted that a little bit more poetically. And, and ever since then, I've always had this passion for connecting spirituality and science together so we can really use them as partners 
in co-creating with the world. Well, it's very important for science and to to form with spirit. I think that that's where we're all headed to, uh, on this planet is to have it working together. So let me ask you about uh, the different stones. The one that I wanted to start with, of course, is one of my favorites, and it's about the emerald. And I noticed mm-hmm. that you have the emerald on the on the front of your book as the the main stone in the center. But as I was reading your book, I could tell that you were you were tracking so many different aspects of the emerald, especially when you started talking about the emerald tablets from Atlantis decoding the stones. So just give us a little rundown on, on how you feel about the emerald and what it's done for you in your life and give us some insight to where you think it's going with the, with the grail stone. Yeah, so uh, emerald is a variety of a mineral called beryl. And uh, beryl gets its name from an unusual uh, component of it called beryllium. And beryllium is not super common in Earth's crust. Uh, depending on the things that are present with it, uh, barrels can be any number of colors. Uh, but the most coveted, the rarest of them, um, is usually the emerald because its color comes from chromium. And chromium and beryllium rarely ever occur in the Earth's crust together. Um, they occur under such different conditions that there really should be no overlap. And yet somehow the universe surprises us with some precious emeralds every now and then. So um, we'll come back to why that chromium content is, is particularly beneficial to us. But for now, uh, we'll look at some of the symbolism behind it. Uh, we see all around the world in ancient cultures uh, that had access to emeralds, and they often had to trade them across great distances to get them. They would carve these sort of ornate, beautiful plates or tablets of uh, emeralds. Um, emerald is a, a really finicky gem. It's full of a lot of inclusions and things that can cause it to crack in the polishing process. So uh, it took a great amount of skill to be able to carve it, but even today's modern cut, the the emerald cut, which is meant to deepen its color, has this really wide face on the surface called a table. Um, And all of this kind of harkens back to the the, uh, prototype or the archetype of the uh, emerald tablet. The emerald tablet, you know, pops up in medieval literature. There are people who have channeled sources who claim that it's older. Uh, the whole idea of it, though, is that it gives us, in, in a coded form, the instructions necessary for alchemy. And so when we connect to emerald as a gemstone with its archetypal roles, it points us in the direction of alchemy. It allows us to take our base leaden consciousness and transmute it into something a little bit higher, take us toward that golden state. Um, And that's where its next archetype of the grail comes into play. Um, The Holy Grail itself is supposed to be this sacred vessel in which uh, the Christ transubstantiated wine into his blood. And even in some churches today, they still believe in that doctrine of transubstantiation where once the Eucharist and the wine have undergone this process, they, they are literally, not figuratively or metaphorically, but they literally become the body and the blood of Christ. So that is alchemy in front of our eyes. It happens, you know, on a weekly basis. Um, so the Grailstone gives us all the tools we need, and that tool is within our heart. The, our own heart is the crucible in which alchemy takes place. And the chromium content in the stone, whenever we see chromium in gemstones, it, it really activates things at the heart center, allows us to really evolve the heart and grow with it. So um, seeing that chromium content, not just the color green, but also that chrome, gives us an idea that uh, 
the motivating force behind all alchemical actions is love. So when did you find the Emerald Tablets? How long ago? Was it something recent, or you've been working with it for a long time? You know, I've come across it in readings here and there, um, but really I, I started to work with the archetype of the Emerald Tablet and looking at various translations um, that were allegedly uh, you know, subscribed to it um, when I started writing this book a couple years back. So give us some, some more information about uh, another stone, quartz. Of course, quartz is something that, that we as Starseed, uh, we love so much. We have our Crystal Quest uh, trips uh, several times a year to, to Arkansas. And I understand you haven't been to Arkansas yet. Not yet, one day. Yeah, you know, my first quartz crystal came from there. So. Absolutely. It's like I, I can't believe you haven't been there yet. Well, maybe... They're saving you for some special reason, because when that you go really there, I'm sure be. you're going to have one high strangeness experience, <laughs> for sure. Yes. Tell us some of the things that you've learned about quartz. You know, quartz is a multi-purpose stone. Um, the word quartz in English kind of comes from an uncertain origin, uh, from Germanic, but um, throughout the ages, it's also been referred to as rock crystal, and, and crystal comes from a Greek word, krustalos, Um and we see words like uh, crust that also come from this and implies something that has congealed or something that has frozen in a very permanent way. So to the ancient people, rock crystal was permanently frozen water, water that had undergone some sort of strange magical process that made it so it would never melt once it was in ice form. And um, it was believed to be solidified light. When we look at the very ancient uh, artifacts made from quartz, all of them point back towards this sort of uh, light or optical imagery. We have the prototypic shaman's wand or magician's wand, and that's the natural shape of the quartz crystal. And of course, today in any metaphysical story, you're going to find really ornate, cut and polished versions of it. And they're just kind of upgrades of, of what nature provides. Um, but this is a prism. When light enters a quartz crystal, it is refracted into the entire spectrum. And what quartz offers to us in this way is an ability to work with any avenue or any aspect of life that enables us to grow. Uh, in gemstone therapy, we use quartz to attract all seven color rays in equal temperament. So uh, whatever we might be lacking in, quartz can provide for us. That also makes it a really multi-purpose tool. So we can apply it to you know, physical healing, psychological healing, spiritual healing, um, it's just a wonderful tool. Uh, one of the other things that we see in the ancient world is we see it polished into lenses and spheres and burning globes and you know funerary offerings or votive offerings that are sort of rounded or ball-shaped. And rather than seeing the, the raw crystal as a prism, now we have quartz as a lens. And there's an ancient myth that occurs in several parts of the world um, that talks about a crystal sun. And the, the sun, as these ancient people knew it, was not a, a single object, not a, a single sphere of light or fire, but ambient light in the universe that was collected or refracted through a giant crystal sun, a giant lens in the sky, and then directed down to earth. And that light coming to us is what we experience as that third aspect of the sun. And since it worked to bring light to the world, this is also how cults in uh, ancient Greece viewed our souls as coming into physical incarnation. We pass through our own sort of metaphoric crystal sun or crystal lens to come into body. And that's also why we see so many 
um, burial sites that have these crystal spheres um, interred with the dead because that was their their way of getting back up into the realm of spirit. They would pass through this lens once more and, and return to the spiritual world. So quartz gives us this ability to cross the membrane, to pass beyond one level of reality into the next. You know, there was such a crystal craze back in the early 80s and when all the uh, metaphysical stores started carrying crystals and then, of course, more metaphysical stories started popping up everywhere. It seemed to be a, a huge movement. And I noticed that um, a great deal of attention was, was drawn to Arkansas area. And a lot of companies went there to uh, get their courts to make their computers. The Japanese came in and, and they just, they raped and pillaged is what they did. And and we're still seeing the after effects of, of what they did there in Arkansas. But what, I, what I'm getting to is there's an, another kind of crystal craze that's about to happen. And it has to do with these courts that have been uh, minted somehow with um, uh, titanium, and they have these colors of, of pink and purple and blue. Have you seen this? Have you seen these new these new courts that have been dipped in titanium and burnt somehow? Have you have you have you run across them? Oh yeah, totally. It's a really interesting process. They don't just uh, dip it in molten metal. What they do is they they take a specimen of quartz, and nowadays they do it with a bunch of other minerals too. Uh, they put it in a vacuum chamber and seal it. They gradually elevate the temperature so that way uh, they don't cause anything to crack by rapid change. And they also uh, double the pressure inside this chamber uh, to twice of what the Earth's atmosphere is. And when we do this to quartz, um, it, it generates both a pyroelectric charge from the heat and a piezoelectric charge from being placed under pressure it causes sort of a, a mechanical stress or deformation on the crystal lattice, which causes a, a small amount of charge to appear on the surface. And at the temperature that they've got these chambers, when they introduce the metals, they actually vaporize. They become a gas rather than a solid or a liquid. And they are um, permanently bonded to the surface of these minerals. It creates a, a really unique optical effect. So when they use uh, pure gold, it's chemically refined, so it's more pure than 24 karat gold, like we use in jewelry, for example. Uh, it creates this beautiful aquamarine color. They call it aqua aura. Um, when they use platinum and sometimes silver and a few other um, metallic oxides, it gives us the, the opalescent pinks and whites, uh, which they call angel aura. And then titanium plus a bunch of other things can give us virtually every other color of the rainbow. Oh, I see, I didn't know that there were others. Oh, my goodness. You know, when I travel, I wear I wear them uh, around my neck, and people always stop me, stop me, and they want to touch it. They and say, "Where did you get this? How can I get one?" And it, as many trips as that I've taken uh, to Arkansas, uh, and I see more and more of, of these stones being produced, I know that, that this is probably going to be the new crystal, crystal craze. You kiddies, get out of here! Hey, sorry. Um. So anyway, I wear very interested in, in kind of keeping up with it, but I don't know what you call them. Is there a name for these kind of crystals that are made this way? Yeah, they usually call them aura quartzes. You know, like aura quartz. Magnetic, okay. Yeah, just like the field of energy around our body um, because they, they have that opalescent, magical quality to it. And also the word aura comes from uh, Latin aurum, which means gold. And the original ones they did were with pure gold. So that, you know, that years ago there. when I was with a very rich man, I would go out to the Colorado Springs Airport and I'd say, 
where's the next plane going? And they'd tell me, and I'd get on it, and then I'd go get on the wing of the of the of the airplane, which is a t- t- titanium wing. And what I, and what I would use it for is writing. I would. Are you mm-hmm. still there? I am. Yes. Um, I would. I would use it to write. I would use it to communicate with higher beings, and and I would just spend a lot of time on airplanes sitting over titanium. So when I saw these quartz with titanium on them, I went, wow, this this is for starseed for sure. Yeah, titanium has this really interesting quality. It's it's very strengthening. Um, it's very tensile when we look at it as a raw metal and very, very strong as well as being very light. So it imparts a, a certain uh, sort of lightness of spirit but still gives us the the focus and directness that we need to get our work done. So that way uh, we don't have to sort of bend and give way to what the world around us might expect from us. We can actually just live from that soul truth. And it's also a great communication stone. When we see um, other compounds with uh, titanium in them, for example, rutile, like rutilated quartz, that is a, a wonderful communication stone. It kind of works as a spiritual antenna. allows us to send and receive and therefore to communicate more effectively, whether it's person to person or from you know, the 3D reality to some other plane of existence altogether. So which of the crystal archetypes was your greatest teacher? Oh, I think, honestly, it's it's the very first one that was in there. That was obsidian. Obsidian is just this powerful ally, and it's also an initiation stone. So when we connect to it, it, it really opens the door to learning from the mineral kingdom in a way that maybe we never have before. Okay. And how about amethyst? I noticed that when I put amethyst and a glass of water and set it out in the sun. And if I drink the water, it has really strong healing properties, especially when I have a cold or flu or whatever. But I noticed that the purple leaves the stone once I put it in the sun. Have you noticed that? Yeah, a lot of colored gemstones will fade in sunlight. It depends on uh, what is actually causing their color. And in the case of colored quartzes such as um, you know, amethyst, citrine, rose quartz, etc. Um, most of those tend to be caused by uh, trace elements of other things, and the bonds are slowly changed when uh, let, exposed to sunlight. Um, so since the shape of those bonds change, it causes the color to weaken, uh, bleach essentially. But amethyst is a wonderful stone. I, I love working with it. It's representative of uh, spiritual alchemy, similar to... Uh, emerald in that it helps us transmute or transcend limitations but what it really focuses on is taking it from the inner world which is where the emerald works to the outer world Um, one thing that's really fascinating about amethyst is when we take a very thin slice a cross section of the crystal and view it under polarized light there's this amazing pattern almost a whirl or a spiral that appears it kind of looks like a labyrinth these are called Aries spirals after uh, an astronomer who actually first discovered them and it's because the direction in which the crystal forms changes back and forth in these patterns to make an allowance for those iron ions to fit in because they're otherwise too large to fit inside the, the structure of the crystal. But as a result of doing this, it, it almost looks like a, an ornate labyrinth like you would find in a Gothic cathedral. And it reminds us that we have to create sacred space. We have to make our own cathedral, our own holy temple. And that might start on the inner plane, but it, it gradually moves to the world around us. And especially like our listeners, uh, anyone who's tuning in, we are the ones who are chosen to sort of work on behalf of the, 
the world at large and to treat everything as our holy sanctuary. And Amethyst gives us all the tools that we need to do that, the clairvoyance, the intuition, sort of spiritual kick in the butt that we get sometimes. But it also endows us with the gifts of alchemy, with uh, violet flame, with so many other tools that help us remove and transmute the obstacles and disharmonies that are present in the world around us. Very good. I wanted to ask you, are you familiar with the, the Jeffrey mine, the little tiny crystals that come out of the water that were, they're, they're called solution quartz, they're grown in water, yes. they're, they don't grow in the earth, they grow in water. Are, are you familiar with them? Yeah, I have a handful of them. Well, well, I was told to um, to get about 40 pounds of them. We hired a diver to go down and get some, and we took them to Cairo, Egypt, and uh, when the Pleiadians showed up and we gave them to them and they put them in the queen's chamber, left them there for a couple of days, then gave them back to us. And then I came back and distributed them all over the world. And um, then the second batch uh, that I thought was distributed wasn't the man that I was with, <laughs> little booger. He, When I'd sent him to the post office, he'd take some out. And I didn't know it. So when he died, his daughter brought me this box and had like 10 pounds of them. So now... Wow. People that have these star markings in their charts and people that come to these uh, the quest in Arkansas, we, we give them to them. And they kind of have a mind all of their own. They let you know where they want to go. And, and, uh, and I've, I'm, I probably will end up writing this book about the experiences of all the people that, that take these, these we call them the Giza crystals, and, um, and, and form, formulate a book because I get so many high strangeness stories that are attached to these crystals. <laughs> I wanted to know if you knew about them. Um, I've worked with solution quartz uh, here and there. I have some specimens that are they're small, like maybe quarter-sized, that uh, yeah. a friend gifted to me, and they're actually still in the original matrix. So before the mine flooded especially, um, and you could get down to dry spots, they would the, the crystals formed in this sort of muddy goo that hardened into something they call mountain leather. It's an asbestiform mineral. Um, it's, it's really very flexible. gold looking. Can... It's, very, it's like, it's kind of like placenta. Uh, yeah, it's like yeah. like a placenta that it grows in. Yes, that's that's really a lot like it. Um, and, uh, you know, this is a, a, a real high quality form of quartz. They often form these ornate double terminated crystals. Many of them are so adamantine or or lustrous, so brilliant looking um, because of how they form in water. Um, and they, to me, they feel like they're relatively young, geologically speaking. So they were formed under some sort of auspicious, maybe cosmic influence. Um, they're, they really accelerate our physiological healing process. A friend of mine who's a total skeptic gifted these to me because um, it changed her mind. She's an old school rock hound, and she said, well, you know, I'm, I've been diabetic my entire life, and I used to get these wounds that just wouldn't heal, and I started um, collecting minerals, and you know, after some time, I, I got these Jeffrey's Quartz crystals, and they would cause these sores to just disappear in a matter of days, things that, you know, in her experience, hadn't healed in, in months. So um, they're really magical. Oh, very magical, very magical. In fact, I want you to to um, email me your mailing address, and I'll, I'll I'll send you a little batch of them with a piece of paper that describes what they are. I'd like for you to have some. Oh, thank you. That means the world to me. I really appreciate that. Yeah, I realized that I should have done this already. Okay, sorry. <laughs> okay. So tell us anything you want to tell us about your book or what you've learned but writing the book about these stones and and anything you want to share with us about the experiences that you've had 
in these 20 years of working with, with the different gemstones? You know, I I think the entire thing can be summed up in saying that the, the mineral kingdom represents our oldest teachers. These are, you know, the original forms of consciousness on planet Earth. And even biological life is owed to the interaction of these early inorganic compounds. So we, we literally descend from the stone on which we walk. And you can't have human culture without rock being involved in somehow, because if nothing else, even in today's very modern world, we live on top of it. Um, you know, we use ores and other minerals to, to make wires, the wiring in our homes. We use silicon and other things in our, our technology. We've got potash feldspar and other things in our glass, in our windows. You can't, you can't get away from the mineral kingdom, no matter how hard you try, and you wouldn't really want to. But when we just take our time to pause, reflect, and deeply connect with no expectation uh, or attachment to outcome, that's when the mineral kingdom is here to offer us new tools or new teachings or sometimes very old tools and very old teachings that we just happen to have forgotten. So uh, it's really a gift to be able to connect with crystals. Uh, I, I absolutely love being able to share this with the world. It was sort of my hobby for many years. And then um, I took a leap of faith and left my career in corporate America and decided to devote myself to writing and teaching and here we are. Well, you're doing the joy of your life. You know, that's what you're doing. And I wanted to ask you, how do you think that your book will impact the academic world and the scientific communities that are working with minerals? Um, Do you see them taking your book and taking it to the next level? You know, I... It's funny you ask that because I recently have been invited to start working with academia um, for the first time since devoting myself to, to the Mineral Kingdom just like this. I used to work for a mineral museum when I was in college, um, just quote-unquote randomly assigned, not that we believe in such things, no, no happy accidents there. That was certainly uh, some sort of divine assignment. And uh, I was recently invited to come back to my old university, Stetson University in DeLand, Florida, to speak to um, some of the classes and also to do a, a free event and connect with the Mineral Museum all over again. So this is just this wonderful opportunity to bring together spirituality and academia. And what I'd really love to do is maybe invite people who work in archaeology and anthropology to start interpreting, uh, you know, the evidence they find, the the stone tools or gemstones or, or other mineral substances in, in ways that might be a little bit more spiritual, that might be a little high-minded than just mechanical. I would love to see people who are um, geologists and petrologists and people who, who deal with just the, the cold science of minerals start to look at them as maybe not living, breathing things, but tools for changing consciousness. So I'm, I'm hoping there might be a little bit more dialogue in the future by connecting with academia. You know, there was a, a television show, I think it was on the Weather Channel, and it was about uh, two or three different groups of people that were up in Colorado digging for gemstones. Have you seen that program? I've caught a couple of shows here or there, yeah. I thought it was kind of fascinating to to watch how they were doing it and how they were presenting it. It's uh, I haven't seen it on for a long time. I, I I haven't seen it this year. I've looked for it, but it wasn't there. So I'm hoping it comes back. So um, you live in Florida now, is that right? I sure do. I'm I'm in Orlando, Florida. So um, 
the people in your community, are they um, metaphysically inclined? Do you have a lot of metaphysical centers in Orlando? We sure do. You know, there's a, a wonderful group of people here. Um, I'm originally from southeast Florida, a little town called Stewart on the Treasure Coast. And we had a, a, a small community, but it was very awake. And it has just been growing. Um, Florida in general, because we get so many visitors from around the world, especially here in Orlando, um, has this opportunity to connect with people of so many different faiths and backgrounds and um, ideologies that we can really grow together. And it's, it's wonderful to be able to teach and share the message here. So when you travel, do you have crystals that you, you have in a little bag and do you hand them out to people that you see that you know just needs a crystal? Do you do that? Not very often. Sometimes, though, it happens, and to to my shock and sometimes horror, my favorite stone in my pocket will come out and go into someone's hand, and I will bid it farewell. But you know, I know when that happens. It's, <laughs> I know that feeling. <laughs> it's, it's it's doing someone's work that they really need. Um, so I'm I'm happy to see it happen when it does, even though I might lose a treasured friend. I know, I know we can still work together etherically. Yeah. Good. Well, at this time, I would like to uh, share you with Arielle, our, our, our co-host for the show, and she has the uh, switchboard, and maybe she has some people that want to come on and talk to you. Would that be okay? Sure. Would you be willing to do that for a few minutes? Absolutely. Okay. So, Arielle, you there? Okay. Yes, I am. Okay, well, back to you, and be sure and send me your mailing address so I can get these crystals off to you, Okay. You got it. Thank you so much, Lavender. I hope you have a wonderful night. Thank you. You too. Great. Well, Nicholas, um, we are going to um, put out the offer for people to call in and talk to you. Um, and if you are already on the switchboard listening, then all you need to do is press 1 so that we know you have a question. And if you are listening on the computer, then you'll need to press um, I mean, to pick up the phone and dial 917-889-8292, and then once you're in, press 1. And it looks like we've already got somebody who is, uh, they're in the the screening room right now, so we'll have a a caller in a minute here. But I want to talk about some of the other stones. We talked about emeralds and quartz and uh, amethyst. But um, on the the cover of your book, um, I see... Diamond. Um, I'm not exactly sure what the uh, what all seven of them are, but can you just kind of give a little rundown of the ones we haven't talked about yet? Yeah, sure. So the book opens with obsidian. Um, chapter two is devoted to jade, which is just a, a wonderful, wonderful stone. Um, then we have lapis lazuli. Then we move to emeralds, amethyst quartz, and finally it ends with diamond. So we start with an amorphous rock. It's not a, a true mineral or a crystal at all with obsidian. And then we end with something that's very rigid and regular and luminous and, and highly crystalline. So we move from chaos into divine order. Wow. And do you believe that the that these stones are interrelated through um, through frequency and function? I think... All members of the mineral kingdom, all rocks and minerals communicate with one another. They're part of this sort of crystalline grid that that circumvents the entire globe. Um, But even on a bigger scale, all all planets, all star systems have crystalline substances in them. I think they even communicate on an interstellar level. So, yeah, they're, they're absolutely connected. Well, good. I'm glad to hear you say that because I've been telling people that, too. So, um, 
the the blue one is the lapis lazuli. Yeah. Is that? Yeah. That's that's always caught my eye. I don't know a whole lot about it, um, but it it is a it opens up spiritual channels. Yeah, one of the primary functions of working with lapis is that it harmonizes our heart and our mind. And when we bring these two sometimes opposing forces into perfect balance, then we're we're set up for spiritual mastery. Um, we we come into this place of being the sovereign, the ruler of our own destiny, and it, it heals the illusion or the perception of separation between the physical world and the immaterial or spiritual plane. So it's just a wonderful stone for really getting us on the spiritual path, and if we're already there, taking it to that next level. Excellent. Excellent. Well, our, our caller is ready, and you're going to be talking to Philip. And let me get your mic open. Hello, Philip. You are on the air with Nicholas. Go ahead and ask your question. Good evening. Hi there. Um, first of all, thank you so much for enlightening us uh, all about the mineral kingdom. I really believe this is lost knowledge we all have to regain, and it can really benefit us in our lives. Absolutely. Um, my question for tonight is, you know, I have a few rings and uh, I have like an onyx ring and an amethyst ring and a few other rings. And I've always wondered if there's a connection uh, between the, 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 the stones and on which finger you wear the rings, uh, the stones. Like, do you wear the amethyst on the ring finger or the onyx on the middle finger? Is there a, a connection to um, stones and fingers, and is there a astrological mm-hmm. connection? Do you know about that? Yeah, you know, there are a whole bunch of different systems for this. Uh, one of the things I like to default to um, is looking at uh, things like um, the alchemical elements, and each each finger is, descri- is ascribed to a different element, but the authority you ask will give you a, a different answer depending on when the book was written or when they did their mm-hmm. research. Uh, you can also look at the meridians in Chinese medicine um, and connect them that way. And another great resource would be looking at Ayurvedic astrology um, or Jyotish. They have a really rich history of using gemstones and rings on specific fingers um, to really work with uh, whatever positive or limiting influences there are on your birth chart in order to get you farther along on your path. So um, you know, there's no hard rule. You must wear amethyst on this finger and onyx on another, but you can experiment and see what works best for you. And checking out, you know, things like uh, the meridian system or the astrological influences of the fingers might give you some uh, ideas for getting started in that. Yeah, because I have experienced it myself when I switched the ring on another finger. I really feel it has a different effect on me. And, you know, just just the ring itself on a certain finger has an effect itself, but combined with a gemstone, I can really feel that there is a different effect. And uh, I've seen there are many different sources, but, yeah, thank you so much for giving me uh, a few options to look at. You're welcome, and thanks so much for calling in, Philip. Thank you. Thank you, Philip. It's good to hear your voice again. You take thank care. Thank you. Okay. Thanks. Bye-bye, sweetie. Well, Philip has been to Arkansas with us, and uh, we just we just adore him. So, but that was wonderful. a good question. That's a good question. Yeah, it really because, was. Yeah, and it, and it made me wonder um, about the other side of the coin. Are there um, 
certain um, stones which would have energies that would be beneficial in a circumstance, but outside of that circumstance, you'd want to put it away. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and I think this varies from person to person. There, there really aren't very many absolutes when dealing with crystals, especially in a spiritual context. Um, but you know, one of the things to look at is how does it make you feel? Your biggest teachers in the mineral kingdom are not usually the ones that make you feel all warm and fuzzy. Those are going to be your most comfortable stones. Um, but our real teachers are the ones that might dredge up feelings that are a little uncomfortable or might take us outside of our, our everyday reality or everyday consciousness. However, those aren't necessarily the stones that we want to carry with us when we go and run errands or clock into work or you know, sit at the desk in school. We might need uh, to choose our, our, our tools a little bit more appropriately based on our circumstances. So you know, what works for me might be what, something that's entirely different from what works for you, and you just get to honor that as you go. I agree with that. Um, and as far as stones that are grounding, um, mm-hmm. wh- which which would you put in that category? Um, you know, there are a lot of really wonderful grounding stones. Uh, one of my go-tos, if I have to be really normal, we'll call it that, uh, is hematite. <laughs> uh, it's a very dense iron oxide. Uh, it's in the trigonal crystal system. It's got this really close association with our physical bodies. The iron in it gives us focus and enhances our, our drive and motivation, but the weight of it, the overall density or specific gravity, really anchors us in physical reality. Some other great grounding stones um, for, for other reasons might include shungite, which is rich in carbon, uh, crystalline and non-crystalline carbon. Uh, you've also got smoky quartz, which is a little less intensely grounding than most of these other stones. Black tourmaline is a great one. And, of course, my, my old friend obsidian is very grounding, too. And the first one you said there was a little um, a little glitch in the audio. Did you say hematite? Yes, hematite. I'm sorry about that. Okay, yeah, because all I heard was tight, and I thought, hmm, okay. Well, good guess, yeah. then. Yeah. Well, that that's... Uh, I'm not as well-versed as you, obviously, but um, it's just that I've always heard about hematite, yes, and black tourmaline, um, and, uh, of course, obsidian, but I hadn't heard of the others. Yeah, they're all wonderful. So, you know, choose the ones that work well for you, and uh, you might find different grounding stones are better for some applications than others. So it's good to have um, a well-stocked toolbox. Yeah, you know, it's it's sort of a a double-edged sword. You don't need every crystal under the sun, but you certainly will want some. So find the ones right. that really call to you and, and start with a small toolkit. And if you start working with other people, uh, you know, doing crystalline sessions or guiding people through meditations, you always want to work with the crystals that you know best. Um, and that you'll find that you'll start being attracted to crystals that might not have lessons for you but might be appropriate for the people that you see on a regular basis. Um, Mm -hmm. And then even if you're just working for you, after you work with the same ones over time, your your energy field starts to crave something new. A new lesson might come up, a new opportunity to transform might arise, and that's when you'll find some new crystal coming into your life one way or another. It's uncanny how they know. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Things just show up like that. So... um, you said you have another book that's going to be out um, very soon. 
Um, yes. Can you talk about that, the um, crystals for karmic healing? I sure can. So um, the release date has just moved around very slightly. It looks like it should arrive on February 3rd. Um, but one of the, the deepest levels on which we can heal is on the level of karma, the causal point of origin of, of any condition, whether it's rooted in this lifetime or a past lifetime or even a future one, because all time is simultaneous. So what I really wanted to do was offer some fresh material. Um, a dear friend of mine, my best friend, actually uh, challenged me to find something new and exciting to do a workshop um, at her place, and um, this was the result of it. And I, I never intended to write this as a book. I just sat down one night to write a workshop outline and gather my notes, and um, I wrote until the wee hours of the morning. And when I sat down at the computer to sort of organize things for the first time, uh, about three weeks later, I had an entire book, and um, you know my publisher was eager to accept it. So that'll be out very soon. Um, it's going to have. Uh, dozens of different crystals, lots of pictures. You can really get to know which rocks and minerals are going to be the best tools for healing your karma. And then also, I, I've just received word that my third book will be available in September of this year. And that one is called Crystal Healing for the Heart. Wow. So, and, and was the, the Seven Archetypal Stones your first book? It absolutely was, yeah. Wow. Well, you've just you're just on a on a real roll here, and uh, I'm trying. I would, you know, when when um, <clears throat> I, I I called Lavendar a couple of days ago um, when I was doing the show announcement, <laughs> it um, dawned on me that when basically between the 15th and the 20th of of any month, mm-hmm. um, the sun is at galactic degree, and in January. Um, it's a galactic degree, which is the mark of the crystal grid. And I thought, did you plan this? <laughs> and, uh, and and I could, I could tell by her answer that, that she didn't, but somebody did, because, um, you know, this is the, this is the timing for um, the crystal grid, the stewardship for the planet, and um, all of the electromagnetic ley lines. And on that um, note, there are obviously a lot of places on the earth that have been wounded. The energies are out of balance because of technology. Um, is there something that you can, that you would teach people on how to use crystals to rebalance the crystal grid, um, you know, doing different layouts? Um, is that part of what you teach? It is. I have a couple of workshops about using crystals with the evolving earth. Um, one day that'll comprise a book all its own. But um, you know, also in my my book on healing karma coming out in a couple short weeks, there'll be some tools for for working with planetary karma or global karma, and even that's going to positively impact uh, the Earth grid. So we can we can use all the resources that we've got available to us whenever we work in this way. The mineral kingdom is really happy to be of service, and then the Earth is, is so hungry for it that we just see it multiply whenever we do this kind of work. Well, I th- I think that the more people that um, awaken to this, the easier our shift is going to be. Um, yeah. In more people, you know, in service to the earth, being a steward for the protection of not only the crystal grid but our environment. So, um, well, that's great. And you you do have you have classes, you do healing sessions. Um, people, you gather people in Florida and and do. Uh, ceremonies with crystals for um, 
what spiritual um, evolution? Yeah, we do all sorts of stuff. Um, I do a lot of different kind of work with different aspects of crystals. So um, you can find me on Facebook. You can check me out on my Amazon author page, and very soon I'll have a website. Um, my next big event is going to be um, when I return to the Gillespie Museum on the Stetson University campus on February 7th. So um, you can find me on social media and, and check that out. But, you know, if you're nearby or passing through, feel free to join me at one of these opportunities to co-create and heal with the mineral kingdom. Wow, yeah, yeah. I smiled when you said you were from Stewart because I used to live there um, on Hutchinson oh, wow. Island. Yeah, yeah. I'm, and I've I've lived just about every city in Florida, Deland as well. Um, so I'm I'm quite familiar with your with your stomping grounds, and there are a Very lot cool. of a lot of spiritual people in Florida. Um, especially, have you been to Key West? Uh, only once when I was younger. I'm hoping to get there maybe later this year, though. Well, there is a huge metaphysical community, um, very, very spiritual. I think someone told me when I actually, I lived in Key West as well, that um, it's a Pisces town, obviously with the water and, you know, people that love to be by the water, but Pisces is such a spiritual sign. It's um, very um, other dimensional. So, yeah, when you go down there, I think think you'll be really, really pleased with the... uh, I haven't been there for a long time, but I, I understand it's it's always been that way. So that'll be cool. We have a, another yeah. caller that's almost out of the uh, screening room. So as soon as they um, complete that, we've got we've got two more callers coming up. So um, if you just want to chat <laughs> chat a little bit uh, while we're waiting for that process to complete. Um, any any other um, information that you would like to impart to our audience on? Anything with with crystals or um, your spiritual healing practices? Yeah, so um, this this is one thing I'd like to put out there about the stones. Uh, In any of the books that you'll read of mine, there's always going to be hands-on applications. There are so many books that teach you what crystals do, and they tell you, you know, carry this rock to heal this condition, but they don't really tell you the how and why behind it. And, you know, the thing is that spirituality is not a a cookie-cutter kind of thing. We don't all fit the mold, and that's true of rocks, just like snowflakes. No two are alike. They're all crystalline in the same way, and none of us are alike. So the only way to really find out how crystals are going to benefit us is to um, work with them in a very deeply personal way. So that's why, you know, the books are full of hands-on exercises and meditations and things to guide you. And those are starting points. You can treat them like recipes. If you've got a beloved family recipe, you know it's been altered from generation to generation just a little bit, and everybody's love has gone into it. Feel free to do the same thing when you work with any stone. Adapt it in your own way. Yeah, that's a really good perception because true, I mean, there is, you know, unique individuals. And um, we actually had um, the guests on our show last week talked about the consciousness in in crystals especially and um, working with them and getting to know them. So, therefore, what you're saying really goes along with that. They're individuals, and um, while they're all kind of in the same family, they don't all look the same, and they don't all act the same, just like a human family. <laughs> yeah, so, absolutely. Um, that's that's spot on. Yeah. So we have, um, let's see, the next caller is Eric, who has a question. So let me get this mic open. Okay, Eric, you are on the air with Nicholas. 
Hello. Hi, Nicholas. Hi, Ariel. I'm glad that you Hello. are able to. Hi there. It's nice to hear from you, Eric. Yeah. So my first question was um, about what you talked about at the top of the show um, with Lavendar about the um, book you referenced to the Emerald Tablet. Mm-hmm. Are you referring to the one, the, the Thoth, the Hermetic uh, Emerald Tablet? Was that what you were speaking about? Um, rather than the uh, the sort of channeled text that's called the Emerald Tablets of Thoth, I'm actually talking about um, these really strange enigmatic texts that only consist of about uh, 8 to 14 lines, depending on the translation, that have been found all throughout the world. Um, they've got all sorts of different commentaries on them. Um, but if you just you know, Google uh, Emerald Tablet, you're going to see lots of, of different versions. There's even one that allegedly has come to us via China. And they all sort of describe the text of alchemy. Um, and also in my, my chapter on Emerald, you can, you can actually read my own translation of the text. It's really short, um, just a handful of lines. Okay, thanks. That's, um, that's what I was wondering. And that leads into my second question, if that's all right. Sure. Okay. Um, so I'm new to the uh, maybe crystal community, you can say. Um, sure. I'm wondering if you, um, you still reference today or ones that you possibly um, would recommend to the, to the beginner to get to um, know this kingdom a little bit. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm going to do some shameless self-promotion and recommend my own book. Uh, even if you want to know about more than just those seven stones, there are about 80 other stones that are mentioned in it. Every chapter teaches you through all the different permutations and colors and varieties of each of those seven, but also teaches you about its cousins that might be related chemically or morphologically or even just in color in some cases. It's going to teach you some really unique applications of uh, a good number of stones. Um, uh, some of the more popular texts that you're going to find out there, uh, the Crystal Bible series is over 3 million copies in print. Judy Hall is uh, wonderful. Um, she wrote the forward to my second book. Uh, if you really want to learn about the hands-on application of crystals, I have to steer you towards uh, Katrina Raphael's original crystal trilogy and then her fourth book, which she put out a few years ago. Um, and in order, they are Crystal Enlightenment, Crystal Healing, The Crystal in Transmission, and um, Crystalline Illumination. Her work is so seminal and has touched the lives of so many crystal workers, even even if just by, um, you know, being lost in translation where she taught someone who taught someone who taught someone. I mean, she, we, we owe modern crystal healing to her. Um, and my, my all-time favorite book is out of print in the English language. If you read Japanese or Spanish or German, you might have a better chance of finding it, but it's called Crystal Journey, and it's by Jane Ann Dow. And Jane Ann was a, a personal friend of mine, and she was just one of the most inspiring human beings I ever, ever got to know. Um, so her book is, is wonderful. Wow, great. Thanks. I will um, check some of those out and... Thanks for coming on the show, and thanks, Ariel, for taking my call. And uh, yeah. Well, it's my Thank pleasure, you, Eric. Eric. <laughs> thanks so much for calling in. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay. Um, that was good, good references there. So um, right now we have a question from... 
our um, producer, Vanya. So I'm going to bring you online, sweetie. Um, Okay, Vanya, you are on the air, ready to go. Hello, hello. Hi, Nicholas again. Hi there. Uh, Hi, I have a question for you. So um, I'm sure you've gotten this a lot in your practice, but maybe not everybody wants to or has even thought of this, but... In your personal opinion with working with the crystals, would you say that tumbled crystals versus actual crystal points are lesser or equal to or um, as powerful as or better than crystal points? So a tumbled version of a stone versus a um, natural point. So this is a really good question. I do get questions like this a lot, and I think it's really important to touch upon it. the idea when we work with any stone, any crystal, is uh, we want to remember that form follows function. So whatever, whatever application that we need the stone to follow through on, we need a shape that is beneficial to that. So that means you know, if you're laying stones on the body, round tumbled stones might have a tendency to fall off. So you could do raw stones, you could do polished flat pieces like cabochons, like are often used in jewelry, um, or even just flatter pieces of tumbled stones. If you have a pocket rock, you might not want something sharp and pointy in your pocket or wherever else you're keeping your stones. So a tumbled stone might be great for that. Um, I have a profound love of raw specimens, mineral specimens that are just in their natural state, um, but also in, in gemstone therapy, which is a really unique way of using gems. Um, we use spheres, perfectly rounded, you know, high quality, only the top 1% of any gem material. And um, you know, that's because the shape of the sphere radiates equally out in all directions at once. So even when we polish the external shape of a gem, we, we can't alter its inner composition. We can't change the inner geometry from which it's made. But we can kind of change the distribution of its mass, which affects uh, its, its energy field. And so spheres are, are very regular and very gentle. Um, they can also be very rigid and precise depending on the material they're made from. So experiment, find the shapes that work for you. Um, what works in one application might not work in another. So, you know, your pocket rock versus one you lay on the body. Um, so just, just have fun with it. And, you know, if you're guided to a stone that you normally wouldn't, in my early days when I was all raw specimens all the time, I never would have gone out of my way for a polished stone, and then it happened, and then I found gem therapy, and we love polished stones and gem therapy. So uh, you can't go wrong if it's working for you, it's working for you. Excellent, excellent. Um, do you communicate with the beings within the inside the stones? Um, yes and no. Uh, it it kind of depends on, on what's happening. Um, while I do believe there is consciousness in stone, I don't necessarily know that these are like individualized entities or individualized consciousness, sometimes you really tap into something that is almost like an oversoul, uh, sort of David mm-hmm. or architect level that's sort of responsible for all members of that crystal family. And, and other times you find a really individualized personality that, that's only in that one rock, and no matter how many others like it you get, they're never quite the same. So some stones speak very loud and clear to me, and... Mm-hmm not to other people and vice versa. And, and other stones don't really speak much at all. And it's, it's partly because we, we might not be in the space to hear it or maybe just because its message isn't meant for us. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Excellent. All right. That's a good, that's an excellent answer. Well-versed. Um, well, thank you. Also have, 
No, thank you. Um, I like, I'm, I'm a big crystal person just like you, so um, I have tons of different things, but I like to get the, the knowledge out to everybody just like you do, so I appreciate all the work that you do. Is there a particular stone that you would say would be a really great stone for 2017 for those who are just beginning their journey and then as well as another stone for those who are well on their journey and dealing with a multiple levels of energetics that are working with them at this time for 2017? Are there two that you would suggest or two or three or one? Or... Um, yeah, I'm, I'm actually working on an article that I'm going to be submitting any moment now to a, a publication that actually talks about two stones specifically for this year. And uh, the first of which is rhodochrosite. Uh, rhodochrosite is a manganese carbonate. You might be familiar with calcite, and calcite is a calcium carbonate. So if you just take out that calcium and stick in some manganese, you get a mineral that forms in very similar shapes but is a, a different composition. So uh, rhodochrosite heals the inner child. It's a great karmic healing stone as well. It appears in uh, my second and my third books, the one on healing karma and the one for healing the heart. Uh, it's a good stone for forgiveness. So there's so much going on in the world. There's so much chaos. There's so many strange things happening. This is a stone that can help heal that um, pain that we carry around when we experience trauma. Um, it can also mm-hmm. give us uh, a real heart-centered awareness, uh, some, some peace at the heart level. But because it's got this sort of peachy or orangey undertone to it, it still packs a punch, and it gives us the boost that we need to kind of get out of a karmic rut. So since so many things in the world are shifting, this is a wonderful mm-hmm. stone to, to heal on that inner level but still keep us moving forward so we don't feel stagnant at any point. Um, the next stone I, I'd like to recommend for, for this year is, uh, it goes by a few names. Uh, you might notice spirit quartz or cactus quartz. Um, and these form almost just like cacti uh, as a, a longer elongated quartz crystal. And then growing around its sides, pointed in all directions, are little miniature quartz crystals. Uh, they're mm-hmm. often amethystine in color, but they might be sort of golden or pink. A, a new, new deposit in the last couple of years is bright yellow um, because, of, because of some hydrated iron compounds on the surface. And uh, especially the, the violet or lavender colored ones with their amethyst energy are really pertinent to today. These are crystals mm-hmm. for community. They are mm-hmm. beacons for allowing us to work together around a common cause or goal, and that goal is our evolution. We see you know, amethyst is a stone of spiritual evolution. It's a stone that helps us transcend limitations and uh, transmute, transmute, transmute. So when we all come together with this, we have this ability to really work on a global level and create some great change. So those would, those would be my two stones to recommend. And, you know, uh, whether you're a beginner or, or long on this path, either one is going to be beneficial to you. Excellent. So keeping it on the person or on their, say, crystal altar, by their bedside, in their pillowcase, under their bed, breathing suggestions? Um, I would say ask your stones. They'll let you know where they want to be. Um, okay. And just, just trust the guidance you get. Excellent. All right. Excellent oh, answer. Cool. Thank you so very much for uh, playing 20 questions with me. <laughs> you got it. They were great questions. I'm honored. Yes, good questions, Anya. Thank you. I don't know. Just trying to bring okay. it out on out for. So thank you. Know, yeah, yeah. Those are really great questions, and how how um, synchronous that Nicholas, you've just been writing about that. Um, <laughs> Stones for 2017. Yeah, that's just how it works, isn't it? 
Yeah, <laughs> we see it a lot. So, Vanya, thanks so much for your questions. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, Bye-bye. thank you. Wow, that was that was really good. Now, is um, if anyone else has a a question, we do still have a little time to take a few more. If you are already on the switchboard, just press one. And if you're just listening on the computer, press 917-889-8292. And then once you're in, press 1. And, um, you know, a lot of people, a lot of our audience uh, will listen to the show um, by downloading it. They'll listen to it tomorrow or the next day. So um, it, is there an, an email address that you would um, have for, for people, a place where they can ask a question if they have one after the fact of the live show? You know, one of the best places to do that would be to find me on Facebook. You can go to uh, my Luminous Pearl page. It's facebook.com slash the Luminous Pearl. You can write on the wall or send me a message. Um, you can find my personal page on Facebook as well. It's Nicholas Pearson. I'm going to be holding a copy of the book, and I look pretty darn excited in that picture. So uh, you can reach out <laughs> to me that way. Um, I, I'm about to start a, a pretty rigorous travel schedule. So um, once that begins, I apologize in advance if there are any delays to anyone who's, who's trying to connect with me. I, I, I won't ignore you. I will get to you. Sometimes it just takes some time. But I, I welcome you know, feedback from people. I definitely want to help you grow. That's, that's the mission here. I, I want to be of service. Well, that is so very apparent. Um, so are you going to be doing workshops across the country or just, you know, around Florida? Uh, I'm starting with a tour here in Florida, um, workshops for all levels of interest, all ages. I'll be doing some free events as well, lots of book signings, uh, some more interviews and podcasts and things. And I had some really top secret stuff in the works that I would love to share with you but can't, but stay tuned and you'll see some more of me. Um, and then on top of all of that, I'm still writing. I'm writing my fifth and sixth books right now. So you have, you have a pretty full day. <laughs> I do. That's, yeah. I've got four planets well, in Capricorn. We, we like to stay busy. Well, sure. And uh, I would not be surprised if one of them are not at galactic degree um, <laughs> with, your, with your connection to the minerals and crystals. And, you know, we would love to see you in Arkansas. And if, if you get there by yourself or whether you come with us, um, I'm sure it will be a wonderful experience for everyone. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. We'll have to place that out in the universe to help us manifest it. Well, I think that would be a wonderful thing. So, um, well, it doesn't look like we're going to have any more um, callers. I don't see anything coming up on the switchboard right now. So... Um, is there anything that you would like to say in closing? Well, I definitely want to thank everyone for calling in, thank all of you wonderful ladies for being our hosts, for the invitation to be here. Um, you know, the, the Stones are here to support us. My job at the moment is just to help you listen to it. So, um, you know, check out the book. There are more coming, and I, I really look forward to connecting with as many of you as possible at some of these events. That would be excellent. And your books are um, on Amazon, you said, as well? Yeah, they are. You can find them on Amazon.com. You can visit your average Barnes & Noble, and they might be in stock. You can buy them online from just about any place. They sell books. 
Um, you can visit my publisher's website, uh, innertraditions.com, and order directly from them. And then if you, if you see me in person, chances are there's a copy of my book somewhere laying around that you can purchase as well. <laughs> that would be a good guess. Okay. Well, great, Nicholas. It's been wonderful having you on the show, and thank you so much for the information, teaching, and guidance and inspiration um, concerning not only crystals but the other um, minerals, uh, gemstones, all of the the oldest kingdom in the world. And they are record keepers, so they really have the wisdom, as you said, if we can only hear it. So thank you so much for your mission, and I know that you will accomplish great things. And certainly when, you're, uh, when you have another book coming out, let us know, and uh, we'll have you back. Sure thing. Thank you so much, and uh, I wish you all a wonderful night. Thanks so much. So um, from all of us here at Starseed Radio Academy, we thank you all for listening. We'll be back next week. And until then... Remember to count your blessings every day. And Nicholas, thank you once again. Good night. Thank you. You've been listening to Starseed Radio Academy. Visit our website at www.starseedhotline.com. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.